We um, are finishing up our, our series actually on heaven this week, and, and so uh, this one we're calling it uh, Still Work to Do. Um, if you remember, we, we've, we've kind of just had the Bible to really challenge a lot of the things of our, our concepts of heaven. So a lot of times we've, we've thought, and there, there's been a lot of really uh, kind of false belief about heaven and some things that have crept in uh, to thought and belief um, over the years. Uh, we, we, we've kind of tended to think about heaven as just this nebulous place that we just, we go to heaven and, and, and that we're just there and it's somewhere else, but, which may be true in an intermediate state, but ultimately what the Bible teaches is that heaven will be here back on earth in a renewed earth and a renewed heavens and we will live in this place in physical resurrected bodies and the reality of God's uh, culmination of time and his plan is that we will have a much more human experience than what we tend to really think about heaven as being. And so we're going to look at that uh, today. Again, we've, we've looked at the idea of resurrection and the necessity for resurrection, you see, because ultimately, if we're not brought back into this physical state, um, then, then that means that God had to create a B plan. It means that actually to some degrees that the enemy had a victory over God and that God had to go and recalibrate and retool and come up with somewhat of a B plan. But you see, this isn't the plan at all. The plan is, is the restoration of Eden. The, the plan is that God is going to redeem and restore and bring back everything about his original intention. And so we can get a glimpse a little bit of his original intention as we look early into the book of Genesis and we begin to see about how God had, had put us out into the earth and that we had a job and a mission, that, that God had kind of created almost this blank slate of, of the earth that, that, that he just said, look, he, he gave us a place and he gave us a garden, he gave us eternal life and relationship with himself and then commissioned us to go out and to really to subdue the earth, to go out and, and, and see human flourishing actually happen upon this earth. So let's look at that really quick. Uh, Genesis 1, 28, it just says this. It says simply, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the idea here is, is, that, is that ruling has always been the plan of God. That, that there's always been the idea even of government and order and structure is always just part of the nature and the character of God. And it's part of, as he's created as he is, it's part of something that he's infused into the creation and infused into the way that things just are. The word here, the word subdue, is the word kavash in, in, in Hebrew. We get the word, I, I just learned this this morning, I thought, oh, it's, isn't it always interesting where we find how we get words from? You ever heard about anybody saying like, well, that, well let's just put the kibosh on that, right? Well, that actually comes from this word, kibosh. Kibosh would probably be where we get that. It means, it means to a footstool. It kind of means to, to put an end to it and, and then for it to be the footstool. It means to, to reign over it. But there's another word, this word that where it says dominion over it. The word is radah, and it means to be a benevolent leader of it. It means to be a good leader of it. See, in reality, you see, we were, we were given stewardship of the earth. 
When, when it comes to stewardship of the earth, Christians should be really on the forefront of this idea because it's God's idea. It's part of the commission of what we were given. And, and so, so we were meant to be benevolent leaders over this earth. And ultimately, God's plan is going back to the restoration of that. You see, government, as hard as it is to believe, was not the result of sin. Government was in place, right? As hard as as messed up as government is, because that's all we've ever seen is messed up government, right? Because of sin, because of this, uh, this inherent thing that we bring into it, because of our, our need for power and our egos and our pride and, and this power struggle that we in, it, it simply is the result of sinful humans. It's the reason that we won't have a, a savior from a political place. We will have no political savior. There is one savior, there is one, and it's Jesus. And if we want to see change in the world, it's not going to be because of our political ide ideologies. It's because we get a hold of the idea as the church that the church is called to go out and to disciple the culture around us, that we're called to go and, and see lives changed from the inside out. The power of the gospel is the thing that ultimately is, is set in place to change the world and ultimately will have victory completely over it. Government is simply the control, the direction, the administration within a system. And with that, we were meant to govern and, and be a part of this with God over us as our authority. See, the Jews believed also that Jesus would reign, but they missed the idea that he would first have to suffer because of sin, before he reigned on it. You see, we were given this mandate to rule the earth, and we gave it over to the enemy. The authority that was given to us, we chose instead of listening to God, we chose to listen to the voice of the enemy, and we went our own way. And the Bible teaches that there was an incredible fall that affected everything. It affected everything in the universe. Because, see, all of those things were made. The earth was made for us, is a home for us. So as we turned away from the author, the engineer of all good things, the author of life, there was a natural consequence that went with that. And what do we see? We see, we see the, the, the destructive things within the earth. We see the fallenness now even of the creation. But you see, the Bible teaches that ultimately that wasn't the idea. That the idea was that it would be good and that it would be a place where humans could flourish. We gave it over to the enemy, but Jesus is restoring that. He has restored it, actually, in all reality through the cross. He's, he's made a way so that we can once again take up our rightful place. <clears throat> Jesus has purchased it back, and he has brought into being now an eternal kingdom. And that kingdom has already begun. It began at the cross. See, the Old Testament was prophetic in its teaching about this. Daniel 2, 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. 
What is that talking about? Well, well, if we get into context of that, it's, it's Daniel's vision. It's a vision of, of, this, of this statue of these different kingdoms of the earth, these kingdoms that would be ruled by men, and not just men, but, but sinful men, right, in reality, and how ultimately all of those will crumble, and God will establish this kingdom that will last forever and ever, and it will never, ever end. Daniel 7, 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. This is a forever thing, and Jesus has established his kingdom and reconciled all things back to himself. Ultimately, it says, where is this kingdom, where we talk about this, where is this kingdom located? Well, oh, I'm sorry, Isaiah also, one more uh, verse going that way, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Won't it be amazing? the day that we see no corruption in the government. I mean, what a, what a source of angst and struggle in our lives. And we see in, the, in our lives today and then the government that we have, we're just, the, the, the really hard thing is that our government is locked in a power struggle right now. No longer almost even able to, to do like bipartisan politics anymore, just locked in absolute power struggle. And the scary thing about power struggles is that they're only generally resolved through power. But see, this is a different kingdom with a different set of rules and parameters. It, it, it has a different set. It's a, it's a completely different economy from the one of this world. But no, make no mistake, it is the reign of Jesus will be on here, right here on earth. Zechariah 14, 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. You see, this is the thing that we want. It's the thing that we desire. When, when we hate this stuff, when we, when we get all wadded up about things in our world and things that are going on and things that upset us and things within the government and death and all of those kinds of things that, that we're like, why is it like this, God? Why is it like this? And we're so upset, we have to come to understand that, that this isn't the intention. This is the result of, of something else. This is the result of sin. You see, sin, once it began, it's this, it's this, this heinous thing that where, where, where it began in this spot, the next thing we see is the murder of the first person. And we see just this, this idea that because everything becomes about us, we, we, it, it takes us into a place of just utter selfishness and, the, and just the desire to, 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 to consume to the nth degree. And, and because we're in this thing, it's, it's part of the reason, like I've said too, that our technology, we won't innovate ourselves out of this problem either. We won't elect ourselves out of it, and we won't innovate ourselves out of it because of this sinful nature that we bring into the equation. Every great thing that we innovate, the technology that we create and that we, that, that we bring into bear is amazing. There's so many amazing technological advances today. But those, almost all of them have an equal and opposite capacity for 
real evil in our lives, right? And it's because of this, it's because of the problem that is within us. The solution is, is, is through the gospel. It's through the, it's through the cross. You see, it's through the cross that this is all reconciled. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And because of this, we can now live for another kingdom. We, we can live under another rulership within our lives. You see, you'll shackle yourself and you'll be under the authority of something in your life, either sin or righteousness, either Satan or Jesus. These are the options, and honestly, the Bible teaches very clearly that there aren't any other options. We may not like that. We may not, we may not agree with that, whatever that looks like, but I just want to say that it's the clear teaching of the Bible. See, we can live now for another kingdom. We can choose to live for righteousness. We can be agents of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, ushering in right here and right now. You see, this isn't a in the future kind of a thing. This is a, this is a kingdom that is drawn near to us and it is at hand. Romans 6.13, it begins to deal like this. It, it says, Paul is telling the people of his church, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Somebody said, and I don't know who it was, but they said there was this, this statement that said, you know, God did, Jesus didn't die on the cross to make bad people good. Jesus died on the cross to make dead people alive, to bring us to a place where, 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 where the, the spirit of God indwells us, where the communication with God is actually possible. Like we said before, it's like, it's like apart from Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's like we, we have this, this uh, stereo, but it's not tuned in any station. It's just staticky. And we live in the world like that, and we live in this world, and it's full of deception, and, and people are falling into the deception right and left. But when you, when you trust Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells you, it, it, it takes that, that, that tuning and it tunes it right into the channel. And we can hear from God and we can understand things spiritually in a way that we could not before. Why? Because we were dead and separate from God. Why? Because of sin. But Jesus, through the cross, he, he, he pays the penalty. He becomes the solution for sin and offers us even a different kind of way to live that we can now begin to offer ourselves for his kingdom and for his righteousness. We can choose to live this way versus being shackled to sin and to selfishness and our ego and pride and all of those kinds of things. See, it's kind of, we talked about this a little bit before, but you see, the flesh isn't, an, it's not a bad thing. Jesus, the, the, the Greek word is sarks for flesh, and, and Jesus was said to have dwelt in the flesh. So in and of itself, inherently, the flesh is really good because this is what God created. It's how God created us to be. It's part of being a human, is that you are flesh and spirit. The soul, the spirit brought back to life through the, through the work, through the 
through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, made into what we were intended to be, which is a living being, living both physically and spiritually. And, and forever is, is ultimately the picture of this. This is why the, uh, the, the resurrection is, is an absolute necessity, because you and I were created to be both flesh and spirit. God first made a body, and then it says he, he breathed a, spirit, a, a soul into it, and it became a living being or a nefesh. And, and so this was always the original intention. We live in the, the present right now, and the present that we're living in is kind of the already but not yet. We've said this before. It's the already but not yet. Jesus' plans and his, what he's going to do cannot be thwarted. God is sovereign. I heard a good analogy I liked the other day. We're still making decisions, and we're still doing things today. We're making decisions, and those decisions have consequences, and they have outcomes, and all kinds of things. But they do nothing to change the direction of where this is all going. You cannot thwart where this is going. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like we all got onto a cruise ship, and that cruise ship was headed to a port, now, the people on the cruise ship are doing all kinds of things all the time, making decisions and doing different things, and there are consequences and there are outcomes. Maybe they're going to the casino and they lose all their money. I don't know. But anyway, there are things that are going on within the cruise ship, and those things have consequences, and those things have even some life-changing things potentially with, to the people on that ship, but it changes nothing about where the ship, the ship is headed. It's headed to this port and, and the, the, the movings of the people within the ship change nothing about that. And we talk about sometimes the world, right? Uh, when, when we talk about the, the, the world and that it's, it's not good, Jesus says, he even says, my kingdom is not of this world. So you're like, well, what are you talking about then? Try Jesus said it's not of this world. When he says not of this world, he, he's not saying the earth. What he's saying is the systems of governance and what's going on now. The Bible says that, that the systems and the patterns of this world have been turned over to the little g God of this world, Satan, and that he now rules and reigns and deceives over this place. But you see, the authority that we gave up one day ultimately is going to be restored. It means that we are supposed to reclaim our life right now here in the flesh and live for righteousness, to live for his kingdom not to just be a people who are building our kingdom with all of our thoughts and our ideas and the directions that we just want to go, but understanding that there is a kingdom that is going to go on forever and ever and ever. And that means that there's continuity. That means that the things that we're doing in this life matter, and they have an eternal ramification to them. That, that the things, that extends, it's, it's not like we're going to go to heaven and sometimes people, we, we've, we've talked, we talk this way or people explain it this way and say, well, you get to heaven and it's just, it's just none of it will matter anymore. I don't think that's the truth. It will matter. Now, it may not affect you. Every tear is going to be wiped away and all of those kinds of things, but it is going to matter. What is happening here and what's happening here now matters. It's not just some twisted experiment that God is doing, some kind of a weird thing where he put everybody in some kind of a little glass bubble and just thought like a bunch of rats in a cage or something, just going to say, well, I'll just see what they do. No, th things that do happen here matter here. How we live our lives and what we're living our lives for matters, and we have the opportunity because of Jesus and the cross to reclaim the life that we're now living in the flesh and live it for righteousness.
It means we have a purpose in the kingdom. And, and that as the church, we need to take up our rightful place and live into that. 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? The context of this is, is frivolous lawsuits that are going around in the church and, and the church's inability or the people within the church's inability to deal with those kinds of things. But what he's saying is that, look, do you not know that, that there's a much bigger picture? There's a much higher um, uh, purpose for your life and who you are and what the calling is on your life and, and how much more than the matters pertaining to this life. If it's going to extend forever, then it's important what happens now and how we manage those things is important. You see, the kingdom of God is touching this world right now through the presence of the Holy Spirit, which guides both the individual and the church. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, to go out, to be agents of healing and agents of the proclamation of the kingdom of God, to, to let people know that there's another way that you don't have to be shackled to the things of this world. You don't have to live your life for the temporal things of this world. You don't have to make everything about life and living about things that are going to pass away or that you're going to leave behind when you leave this thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are important, and they're not evil, and they're not bad. The problem with us is that we begin to believe that that's all that life is. Why? Well, it's easy because it's all that's in front of us. It's, it, but we have to expand our perception of reality. We have to expand our perception of truth and recognize that God is doing a bigger thing. That there's a kingdom that's near and that's at hand. And that one day we will reign with him forever. And, and even that, sometimes it feels kind of weird, doesn't it, to even say that? You know, you're like, well, I don't know. Doesn't it sound more spiritual to try to just say, I'll just humbly hang out versus I'll reign? You know, well, I get it. And, and sometimes we, we do those things where we kind of, you know, try to be spiritually a, a, a big deal or, or sound good spiritually. But, but see... The reality of it is this, is, is that if, if this is God's idea that you would reign. And so therefore, the more spiritual thing to do is to, uh, is to listen to God and start to get interested maybe in this idea of reigning with God forever and ever and ever into a kingdom that begins now and the opportunities that are now. We're to be proclaiming this kingdom See, right now, it's a contested rule. There, there's, 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 there's a, it's contested. There's, there's a protest out there, but it doesn't change anything about the reality of God reigning in this world. Eventually, it's going to be an eternally uncontested rule and kingdom. But reigning is God's idea, and it is more spiritual to begin to consider that and think about that now. Revelation 2.26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. 
Revelations 22, 5, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's not me just saying this. It's what the Bible says. It says that we will reign with him. And look at this. It says that I will give them authority over nations. It's an interesting thing because sometimes it blows our concept of heaven because now we're talking about, we see things about kings and reigning and nations, tongues, tribes, nations, the diversity that God has created, maintained and held, different languages, different tribes, different nations. Ultimately, we'll see all of those things, though, bringing the glory of those nations in to who God is and to the glory of who he is. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. See, all of the universe belongs to him. There is not one square inch of it that belongs to another. And when we start to think about what it would look like and we start to ask the questions and I, I can't answer them. I, I can't. I wish I could. I can't, I can't tell us definitively what all it will look like. <clears throat> I can promise you this. It's going to be better than we could ever think about. But we ask questions, you know, and rightly so. We say, well, man, do you think there'll be animals in heaven? Why not? Why wouldn't there be? Genesis 1, part of God's earth and the good creation that he created, he created animals, and he actually allowed us to name them. And God actually allowed those names to hold, and, and, and he was like, okay, cool, you want to call that a hippopotamus, <laughs> whatever. I mean, you know, he's, he, he allowed it. He didn't say, no, that's a dumb name. Anyway, um, he allowed Adam to, to name the, the, the creatures. Yeah, it allowed him to co-reign with him. Land ownership, I don't know. Land ownership's kind of a big deal to God. It's kind of a big deal to us too, isn't it? I don't know. Well, we own land, I don't know. Different tribes, tongues, and nations. Again, the idea of diversity, God's diversity. God is a diverse God. He's three, but yet he's one. He's diversity brought into unity. The picture of his creation is that very thing as well. We see in, in uh, Revelation 21 here, it, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It says here that kings will come, and they'll come into this new Jerusalem, and they'll bring the glory of the nations, and they'll lay it before God, and all of the glory of anything will be cast down and put right back into the source of its beginning. <clears throat> this means that the events of, hu of humanity are not meaningless, but they're headed towards a divine plan in the new heaven and earth, where its citizens and its culture glorify God and all that is done. Ruling without pride, arrogance, ego, hatred, bigotry, greed, desire for power, etc., etc., etc. All humanity moving forward to rule to the flourishing of all and the glory of God. 
It's a crazy thought. All science done in awe and, to dis- and, 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 and in discovery of who God is. Mathematics and in engineering in awe of the design of what he's done. All art to reflect his glory. All music for his praise and worship. A place and a time where everything is united and focused back to him. I cannot wait. Think we'll explore the universe? Well, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Maybe we'll get to go see it firsthand. But this is a kingdom where the principles of God are different than here. It's a place where the last is first. Where the greatest are the least. Where the leaders are the servants. Where the humble are exalted and the faithful are given much. And we must see all history as moving towards this final redemption. Resurrected, redeemed humans living on a resurrected, redeemed earth. Understanding that a higher vision, a, a greater understanding of what life is about now and the kingdom that we've been called into to participate in and perpetuate on this earth right now. Again, the church is called to be making heaven a more crowded place. Revelations 21 ends, though, by saying this. It's only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life that your your name has to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Not just the book of life. The book of life is is a record of every human being that has ever been brought into this earth born and, and, and some that didn't make it to that place, a recognition of a reality of every created being that God has ever done, the, of, of human beings, the, the book of life. But then there's the Lamb's book of life, and to be in that book, you have to have trusted in the work of Jesus, the redemptive work that brings all of this, the, the only work that reconciles all things, both in heaven and on earth, that's brought peace to all things. The one who has paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. See, because if our lives aren't, if our names aren't written in that book, then there's a debt that you're gonna owe. And, and, it, and it's, it's not gonna matter how much you've done or how good you are. The debt is gonna be still too great for you to pay. See, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, it's kind of like there's a debt out there. And let's just say in here, that we're a people, and let's say in our bank accounts, we have varying degrees of money within here, and, and, and some of us maybe have, have very little, and some of us maybe have quite a lot, or you know, maybe, maybe tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars. But at the end of the day, the, the fine's a billion. So it doesn't matter how much you have in your account. It doesn't matter how good you've been. The debt's too great. You can't pay it. It's, it's one that can only be paid by God himself. And, and what we're talking about in the gospel is a God who was willing to do that. A God who was willing to enter into the history of this world, into time, space, and history. To pay the penalty for sin so that you and I could enter into a different kingdom. So that the, 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 the debt that is owed could be could be taken away by the cross, and the righteousness of Christ could be placed or imputed into our accounts. 
Not because we deserve it, but because God is good. Not because I'm good or you're good, but because God is good. And this is his heart, and this is his desire, but he's a righteous judge. And so, so justice had to be served, and it was served at the cross. And at the cross, it's the place where his perfect justice and his perfect love collided, and he purchased the church. And he gave us the ability to be adopted into his family. See, it's adoption. It's not birth. God's plan is that to, to as many as received him, John 1, 17, to believe, and believed on his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to be adopted, and God has no grandchildren. We don't ride the coattails of anybody else into this deal. Your name has to be in the Lamb's book of life because there are two options. There are two ways. There are two authorities in this system and in the one to come. There's Satan, who rules by sin, by fear, by division, all of those kinds of things. It's the systems of this world right now. And then there's Jesus who's brought in a different kingdom, one of peace and, and one of reconciliation, one of redemption and forgiveness and, and ultimately resurrection and all of those kinds of things. There are two kingdoms and then there's, there's two in the end too. There's, there's being forever in his presence and there's being forever in the absence of his presence, heaven and hell. The Bible teaches it clearly. It's not about what I say. Check it out for yourself. It's what the Bible says. But your name has to be in the Lamb's book of life. And then it's a forever and ever and ever thing. Everything that we ever wished or imagined or wanted times a zillion is waiting for you in the next thing, you see, God's greatest promises to us are in what's to come. We want it to be now, but it's not for now. Jesus told us the world that we live in now, that in this world, that we're going to have trouble. But he told us to take heart, that he's overcome the world. He's given us a new way to face this. He's given us an opportunity. He's written the names of those who have said yes to him in the Lamb's book of life. And for them, there will be no death. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your plan of redemption. We thank you that, that the enemy does not win in any capacity or any way. We thank you that, that what we're doing here matters and that the events and the history of our lives and the pain and the difficulty and the suffering and the hard things aren't just things that you just cast aside and tell us to just don't worry about it. These are things that you're using and you're using them now uh, to further your kingdom and that you will forever use them in your kingdom, that they do matter. And even though we go through hard things, we can trust and to know that you're at work and that you're for us and not against us, and that you've given everything so that we might have relationship back to you. I just pray if there's anybody here who's never made that decision, who's never said yes to a relationship to you, I pray that today might be the day of salvation. The day might, today might be the day that they reckon with the reality of the sin debt that they owe, and that they might receive the free gift of salvation from you, Jesus. And Lord, that, that they would be a follower that they would devote themselves and their life to your kingdom, to your will, and to your purposes. So, Lord, we give praise, glory, and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.